0: Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 42, entitled Tie-Ins, Part 1, in which I'll be exploring issue number 36. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. So, the title of the episode is Tie-Ins, and the reason for that is because the next couple issues... We of the new mutants, we deal heavily with the crossover with secret wars. So this issue and the next one, we're gonna be dealing with secret wars, and there's some interesting little side stories occurring in like Uncanny X-Men and Marvel Age Annual Number One that are worth just touching on. So for this this episode, we'll be covering Uncanny X-Men really briefly, issue two oh one. Secret Wars 2, 5, and 7, and those will be really quick and really brief, just to kind of catch us up and explain why we're at where we're at when Beyonder shows up in issue 36 here today. And we'll be covering, talking briefly, very quickly, about this, a single page from Marvel Annual, Marvel Age Annual Number 1, which deals with the New Mutants. So, that's, that's the reason... And the next episode, it's going to be similar to this. It's going to be a quick rundown of some other issues, and then the meat of the episode will discuss the comic book, uh, the the New Mutants issue. So let's let's not hesitate any longer. Um, for these other issues too, I should mention before we jump in. Um, for these extra issues, Uncanny X Men, Secret Wars, and Marvel and <coughs> Marvel Age Annual, we're not going to talk a lot about. Who the artists were, who the writers were, you know, if you're really that interested, I would recommend going and find this, finding these issues and reading up on them. Um, we're just going to talk really, really going to focus on the stuff that's relevant to the New Mutants. That's that's the focus. That's what the podcast's about. about, um, and that's why we're we're doing it that way. So, without any hesit without any further hesitation, let's jump into Uncanny X Men two hundred one. So, in Uncanny X Men two hundred one. It's entitled Duel. And really, the bulk of the issue is about Scott and Madeline. They're married. Madeline doesn't want him to be part of the X-Men anymore. He's got a son, Nathan Christopher Gray, right? Has been born to Madeline Pryor. And... <clears throat> or sorry, Nathan Christopher. Anyways, uh, they have a kid together. She wants him to be done being a superhero. Scott's not ready to quit. And... I. I want to talk about that. It's the art in this book is fantastic. It's Rick. I wasn't going to talk about a lot of creators, but we're going to talk about this one. It's Rick Leonardi, and I for one find his art to be absolutely stunning. I love his artwork. He when I when I look at his work in uh, comics, especially around this era, um, the mid '80s. He to me is the precursor of what the 90s is going to be. He is he is kind of the beginning of the push to the 90s, right? In this issue we get some very phys- I mean, the artwork's beautiful. I love his artwork, his his attention to detail with faces. I love the way they emote. On the very first splash page, we have the group of X. We have the entire X-Men group huddled around Madeline Pryor, who's holding Nathan Christopher and showing everyone, and they're all just going gaga over this baby. Right? They just are obsessed with with this child. And we see off in the top uh, top right corner of the page. Scott Summers, he is looking, not even looking at this scene. He he his face betrays different emotions, his dread of having to leave this, having two responsibilities and not being able to choose, not wanting to give up the X Men. And that's what this issue up ep, issue's about. But before we continue with that, I just want to finish up what I was saying about uh Leonardi and he, he he his artwork to me just it, it's very model like. In a lot of ways. We still don't have women with... I mean, women are probably not... The average... They're all really pretty people. Like, let's just admit it. Like, I think that's consistent. Even when... uh, McCloud's drawing... The nerdier, new mutant characters. They're still not like they're... Ugly. It's not like they're not attractive. All of them are attractive. And that's true here. I mean... There's a reason for that. They're selling these books to teenagers. Like, there's, you know, we don't even need to get into it. It just feels like it's very model like. And the 90s is going to bring a hypersexualization uh, to comics that uh, I don't think Rick Leonardi is necessarily pushing towards too heavily, but I can see the trend, right? That's realistic very realistic artwork um, just just the style it very much feels like a Jim Lee or and, and it's interesting because who do we have doing inks on this issue it's Will Partasio and he's going to be a big player in the 90s so we have the 90s artists they're going to make the big splash and sell all these comics they're beginning to find their way into Marvel and DC and they're 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 finding their footing. They're finding a place, and they're becoming comic book artists at this point. So it's not a surprise that this era is the era that kind of helped solidify um, what we're gonna see from the likes of Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Will, Willis Portacio, um you you name them, and that's you know this is the era they're coming up in. So it's not that surprising that that style is going to leak into what we see in the 90s. Anyway, so let's just continue with this. Like I said, it's it's an issue that's pretty quiet, except for there's this fight between Storm and Cyclops. And the New Mutants witness this. And it's really for Storm, she's trying to take, you know, she wants to lead the team. And it's kind of where Cyclops is going to step away. And this is what Claremont had planned, right? He's going to have... Cyclops, retire, live in Alaska, and sometimes he'd get involved and sometimes he wouldn't. Um, But he was not going to be a main member of the team. He wanted these characters to go through the cycle of life and to have new characters come in and develop and then other characters leave and go off and do things. It's a sprawling story and constantly changing, but the comics industry is not always interested with change it likes the, the established status quo, and it likes to come back to it. It likes to reset it. It likes that to always be the thing because it's hard for a reader to come in. And I think if you've read X-Men, if you're a fan of X-Men, if you're a fan of The New Mutants, if you're a fan of X-Books in general, you know what it's like to jump into the middle of a, a title when it's got 500 issues or more, and you're trying to figure out, wait, who is this? Who? Why? Why is this happening? It's hard to understand the complexity of the storyline and the story arcs and continuity that has been established over decades if you're a new reader. And that can turn people off. It can be hard to jump back in or jump, you know, when you leave and then pick it back up. So, you know, I understand why they want established status quos and that because it's easier to reset the line and get readers back up, caught up, right? Right anyways that's what's happening here is claremont's trying to phase some characters out bring in new characters start a new team really push the story in a different direction places it's not gone before <clears throat> and that's and and storm does defeat him she takes over the leadership of the new mutants or of the x-men sorry uh, we have this cute little scene <laughs> i say it's cute the scene where uh Cannonball. Everybody's outside playing basketball. Well, inside the mansion, in, in Cannonball's working. He's working on a term paper. He's trying to complete it. He's typing, typing, typing. He's really focused. And all of a sudden, the computer crashes. And he's freaking out. He's upset. He thinks, you know, all this hard work for over a month and it's just gone down the drain. Uh, and Kitty Pride is going to help him recover that. And so we have this neat scene with Kitty Pride and Sam um, working together to try to recover his term paper. It's, it's really cool. Um, so that's the tie-in to the New moons in X Men, Uncanny X-Men 201 Duel. So that leads into our next issue that we'll be covering, which is Secret Wars 2, number 5. And this is scripted by Jim Shooter. I'm not going to get into the other um Artists and uh, editors and all that stuff. Uh, just you know this is Jim Shooter's pet Project. We've talked about it before. You know, this is his thing. And it's also something I've gone on the record about not really finding very uh, very pleasing. I really don't care for Secret Wars 2 at all. I find it very disruptive. I don't like the Beyonder. I think it's just an exercise in futility and just stupidness that really interrupts and disrupts and destroys other characters and other, uh, story arcs that are going on at the same time. That being said, the next two issues of New Mutants really, uh, Claremont's woven the Beyonder and Secret Wars 2 stuff into those two issues, I think extremely well. And I really like the storylines and some of the trials and tribulations that then affect the characters going forward like there's an impact by this story that without it we wouldn't have it and and that's kind of cool, I kind of appreciate that I really like um, how Claremont is able to take this concept and, and move it forward now, that being said Secret Wars 2 number 5 is probably my favorite, it, it is my favorite issue of the entire thing um, and that's because we get a new character and so when you think that you know, Shooter and his artist scripted and plotted this together and came up with this concept. Like, I haven't done a lot of research and maybe, and I should have probably before I did this. Again, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on the Secret Wars stuff. We're here to cover the New Mutants, not the Secret Wars. But Boomer, Boom Boom, Meltdown, Tabitha Smith, this is her first appearance. She is introduced in this book and... From the get-go, I love her character, right from the start. And that really doesn't change. Like, I like her character she comes in to the New Mutants later on. I like her in Fallen Angels. I like her in X-Factor, or, I mean X-Force. Uh, she's a character that I just really appreciate. And, you know, I, I, I think it's great. And so to see the beginnings of her character right from the start, we see that Tabitha Smith that that's there when... She joins X-Factor when she's around the New Mutants. Like, that's the same character, and she is fantastic. And so in this issue, Tabitha Smith, she's walk, she's trying to get to Westchester. She's trying to get to the, to the X-Men mansion. She's trying to join Xavier's School of Gifted. She knows that that's a safe place. She knows that's where she can go. She's just discovered she's a mutant. She, along the way, is met up with the—she meets up with the Beyonder— And he disrupts her travel plans. He destroys the train. She's shocked by this. And, you know, they begin talking. And and she ends up befriending this guy. And they both are struggling with rejection and without, you know, with with being loners. And Tabitha tells him about her past, that when her mutant powers developed, her father tried to beat them out of her, essentially. She's always been appalling to her parents. She's always been weird. She's always not fit. And this mutation was just another place where she just didn't quite fit. She wasn't normal like everyone else. And so she's used to not being you know, not having people care. And they, they continue their discussion. He's just had this experience with Dazzler and she's rejected him. He has just torn asunder. Love has forsaken him and he doesn't see the point of life anymore. He doesn't understand why anyone would want to feel this stuff. And she tells him, nobody can just take a rain check on life. Your choice is to go on trying or just just collapse. And he ends up leaving her. Right. And they've been talking about rejection. She has this game like she's going to be the first to leave. People leave her. And if she can either if people leave her, she gets 10 points. It's just a silly game. Now, throughout the issue, he meets up with Tabitha and we get more and more of this like this cool, like really trying to just show this persona of like confidence and um self Self-assuredness and just this, like, I don't need people and I'm so cool. Like, she's just putting forth this attitude of really being independent and super, like, with it. But really, underneath that, she is a vulnerable person and she keeps walls up to protect herself. And we see that in this issue. And that's something that she carries forward. Like, this is Tabitha Smith. And, and they set it up in the very first appearance. And it's, it, you know, it's amazing. I really like this character and I love what she becomes as she moves forward. Um, anyways, she continues to have these run-ins with the Beyonder. He does eventually help her to get to Xavier's mansion, but when the X-Men see, she knocks on the door. Tabitha Smith goes to the door knocks, and she is greeted by Colossus, but our Peter, he's not in his metal form, and he's gruff with her, which is odd. I don't think that would be the way that he would greet her, but that's how he does, and... The X-Men all come to the door because, you know, I guess that's what they do. They all just show up to the door when somebody knocks on it. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. And instead of paying attention to this young girl, who's probably there for a reason, seeking some help. I mean, because I don't think the X-Men just have people coming up to the door and knocking on it at all times of the day. They see the Beyonder in the car and they charge out and they just start attacking him because that's what you do. And it comes out that maybe Rachel uh summers she may have been like you know co- coercing them through her mental abilities to attack but either way you know they do this and tabitha runs away this this is my biggest problem with this issue is how the x men are written like it just doesn't make sense like i know the beyonders is a central theme and you want this and this and this but like the x men their whole goal is protecting mutants and mutant kind and like not one of them had a concern that this little this young woman showed up, and not like maybe Rachel sends the Beyonder and forced her teammates to attack him. I don't know, but either way, I'm I'm disappointed with this. I don't like how it's written, um, but they need Tabitha to run away, so the Beyonder shows back up. Tabitha's. Frustrated, she's lost in the woods. She's run off into the woods in, you know, on the still on Xavier's property. The X Men don't bother to track her down because beyond disappears. There, they said, well, we're going to talk about the Rachel thing first, and then then we'll look for the girl. Like I said, just again, like if you know Rachel's done this and you want to confront her, that's fine. But I think they would have sent part of the group to look for this young woman who showed up the door looking for help. They don't do that. They just talk to Rachel. And Tabitha goes into the woods all by herself. She's lost. She's desperate. And she's threatening to blow herself up with one of her time bombs. She's calling out to the beyonder. He said that if he, she called him, she would come. He would come to her. He would, you know, show up. But he's not showing up. And he, he eventually does show up just before a time bomb explodes. And he stops it from killing her. And... They go into the space and they go to the Celestials' place and the world where the Celestials are, in, basically, come from. And it's apparently this tourist trap. And this is kind of a neat part. And BeYonder and Tabitha are doing their thing. And and the BeYonder, he's he wants to. Sh- I don't know. He he's going to fight the Celestials. But this freaks Tabitha out. And when he comes back after he's threatened to blow up the planet and kill everyone destroy the universe, to get the Celestials to fight him, Tabitha wants nothing more to do with him. And she demands, you know, he tells her he'll give her whatever she wants, to remove her new powers, to make her look pretty, to do all these things, none of what she wants. And what she asks for is him to, to leave her alone, to, to put her back, take her home, leave her home, and just stay away from her. And he does that. That's what he does. So when she gets, she's in Westchester now, The, the uh, or Salem Center, I think, it might be New York, I, I don't remember, off the top of my head, after having just re, you know perused the issue, uh, she makes a phone call, she calls the Avengers, and they set up a trap. And she go she does call the Beyonder again and he comes and he's telling her he's sorry and that he wants to you know, he's trying to make amends, he's trying to make things right. He misses her. That's what he tells her. He misses her, he misses her friendship. And she says, Yeah, yeah, me too. And in this embrace, while they're, you know, uh getting along, she plants a time bomb and The Avengers come out, and they begin pummeling him, but he's not fighting back, and the Avengers let him go, and he wanders off. And Tabitha's kind of just dropped. This is... That's the end of the issue, basically. He wanders off, the Avengers let him go, Tabitha goes on her way. Um, She's not going to go back to the mansion. She doesn't know where she belongs, but she knows she doesn't belong there. She's not going to the X-Men. And that's kind of the end of that that issue. Now, the next issue that we're going to cover... is a uh, Secret War number two, seven. And the only reason we're even talking about this one is because it's going to be prominent. It's the whole reason the Beyonder shows up in New Mutants, okay? It's the whole reason he shows up in issue 36. In this pan, in this issue, there's one panel of the X-Men watching the Beyonder on TV. People, are camera crews are filming him. He's just sitting on an island in the South Pacific doing nothing. He's just, think, it looks like he's the thinker. Sitting with his hand on his chin... He's just pondering, he's thinking. And everybody's going apeshit. People are trying to kill, hurt him. People are going after him. He's a threat, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Doesn't really matter. But throughout the issue, he's just thinking. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Doesn't really matter. But what he has discovered by the end of it, after Ben Grimm, the Thing, has fought and fought and fought to protect him and keep him safe, and collapses finally in exhaustion beyonder tells him he'd been he's finally figured out he, he he he's thought of something that his role he's figured out his role in the in the multiverse and that's to teach other beings in the in in this in existence what their true roles are and so that's what he's going to do. He's going to go off and he's going to meet up with people, superhero groups, and he's going to teach them their role, what their purpose in the world is, in, in, in existence is. That's his, that's his purpose. And so that brings us to New Munes number 36, Subway to Salvation. <laughs> So let's quickly review our creative team. We've got Chris Claremont, he's the writer. We have Mary Wilshire and Bill Zinkevich uh as the art team. We've got Michael Higgins, the colorist. Now Higgins he's done coloring, obviously, letters, editorial duties, and he's written some stuff for Marvel. Um so he's he's a he's a familiar uh he's a familiar face in comics. Uh, so you'll see him in creative teams elsewhere. Um, Orzacheski, he's back on letters. We've got Nasenti and Shooter as our editing staff. And that is this issue. So um, we know that uh, Mary Wilshire, she has become the regular artist on the title. Uh, she's not going to be a lo- around for a real long time, but she it was announced as being the regular artist on the title. So... Uh, we'll talk more about that probably at the end of the issue uh, the, of this episode. Anyways, let's not hesitate any longer. Let's dive right into issue number thirty-six, Subway to Salvation. So this issue, uh, New Mutants thirty-six opens with a splash page. It's show it's of uh, Roberto in his sunspot form. He is straining against. With all his might, it appears, against this massive metal pillar that's pushing him down upon him. Uh, and Tom Corsi, we see him in the background watching. And what's occurring here is it's a danger room session. You know, we've opened in the midst of a danger room session. And Magneto's up in the control booth with Sharon Freelander. And they're, what they're doing is they're, they're running Roberto through some tests. And Magneto is really trying to push him to his limit. What, you know, what's the peak of 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 sunspots of powers how how strong is he and uh he increases the pressure and and Sharon freelander's not happy with this. she's telling him you know he needs to ease off this is too much. Roberto's not going to be able to handle it and and <coughs> magneto uh ignores it he he wants to know the limits of of you know Bobby's strength and so. Roberto does indeed pass the, the, the test. He, he's able to stop this pillar and lift it off of him. And in doing so, he, he gets some praise from Magneto. And this is not what he wants. Roberto is not happy. He doesn't like Magneto. He doesn't trust him. And he doesn't want anything to do with him. Um, he's really upset. And he, and he tears apart this metal pillar and storms out. And... You know, before he storms off though, he does he demands to know what what's going on, like why is Magneto pushing him so hard? He's already learned how to cope with his powers and that's all he needs to do. He's not interested in being a hero. He is not interested in in joining the X-Men. He's not an X-Man. There's no reason to push him this hard. He just wants he what he wants is to go back to normal life. He just wants to be a kid, a, a normal a Teenager, and he now that he knows how to cope with his powers, that's something he's capable of doing. Um, <clears throat> Magneto argues that you never know when you'll need to know, like when Roberto might need his powers. But Roberto, like I said, is not, it tells him he's not interested in joining the X Men. He has no interest in being a hero, <clears throat> which is. I think it's an apropos moment to to pause and talk about earlier in Roberto's uh, joining of the New Mutants. Like it, that seemed to be something he was aspiring to. He wanted to be the strongest. He wanted to be the most powerful. He wanted to be strong, and <clears throat> he looked up to the senior team, to the X Men. He, it's 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 as though he's forsaken his dreams of of becoming that dashing hero. Um. And and like I said, he storms off to the locker rooms. Um, and Magneto, up in the control booth, is talking to Sharon, who is arguing that, Sharon's arguing that Bobby's young, he's only 13. Magneto forgets that. And Magneto says, quote, Regrettably, life and death are no more respecters of age. And... He also argues to Sharon, Magneto does, that the anger is not that Roberto's exhibiting is not exhi- is not directed at Magneto. No, this is links back to the Beyonder. And this is a problem, right? This has come up before in Numion's issues, right, where... Roberto is just really troubled by what's happening with the Beyonder. His running with the Beyonder's really caused him to question his place in the world and his place in terms of being a hero and being a part of the New Mutants and like what his life's going to look like moving forward. Well, <clears throat> there's he has yet to meet the Beyonder, right? He was not part of the team of at, when when Magneto came to get the New Mutants to helped the X-Men fight the Beyonder earlier. You know, this is a couple of episodes back. This is like early, early. So, <clears throat> Roberto wasn't part of that team. He wasn't recruited. He stayed. He and Amara stayed behind. They were working for the Gladiators at that time. They were under the belief that they had to stay there because they, if they left... A whole bunch of kids would be killed. So he wasn't present when the Beyonder like did all the horrible things he did. Like when he forced Ileon to manifest the dark child. Like he wasn't there for any of that. So he's never actually met the Beyonder to this point. Um so it's that <clears throat> that's this is that's what they're trying to do though. They're trying to link his anger back to something that Supposedly happened where he had a run-in with Beyonder, and it and it changed his perception of the world around him. Now, <clears throat> Bobby, he's he's upset. He's super angry, and I mean, really, everything he told Magneto is true. And you know, he he's shaken. He is shaken, and what we're seeing is this linkage. He is talk, he's he's in the locker room, he's changing, he's eating some cookies, he's looking at this picture of Juliana, his girlfriend who died in the graphic novel, Mutants*. the graphic novel, their first appearance, the origin story basically, Um, and he's, he's wishing that she was still alive, that he'd never been a mutant, because they'd be living happily ever after, after now, but that... You know, with the Beyonder, he's questioning everything, that he can't exist. There's no point. Why even try? Why try to be a hero? Because anybody you save, the Beyonder can just, at a snap of the finger, wipe them out. There's nothing anyone can do to stop the Beyonder, so what's the point in trying? There's no point. It's just... And this is kind of where Bobby's going to start to break with the team. He's going to leave the team here momentarily and be gone and he'll have some com- he'll come back and then he'll leave the team again later on. But uh, here's one of the breaks with the team, and it's it's over this conscious this his crisis of conscience, of confidence um in the face of the beyonder that that's causing him to question this and like I said, he has yet to meet the Beyonder at least on panel, so unless he met him off panel. Um, it's, it's an odd, he's, he's the right character in terms, I like his irritation and distrust of Magneto, especially with everything that happened with the Hellfire Club and his father. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense, but I just wish there was a clear linkage that we could draw from him and the Beyonder. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at. Roberto's not happy and he's going to be taking off. Elsewhere at the public library in New York, um, we see Kitty, and she, Kitty Pryde, member, a member of the senior team, she's at the library here, and she's doing some research. She's researching a Norse uh, history and, and mythology, and this all ties back into something we'll cover later on in the spring special, um, the Asgard Wars, and specifically... Uh, the New Mutants special number one and Uncanny X Men annual number nine. And that's what this is harkening back. That's why she's there doing this research. She's got some questions. She wants some answers. She's also waiting on Ileana, one of the members of the New Mutants. Many of us know her as Magic. And <clears throat> Magic is riding the subway. She'd been shopping at Bloomingsdale. And she's riding the subway to meet up with Kitty. Now, I want to talk briefly, really quickly, about this image of the subway car. Uh, We get this establishing panel of the subway and the subway car as it, you know, is going down the tracks. And on the side of it, we see X-Men T-E-S period S. And this is just on one of the sides of the subway car. Now, I was curious, like, that's an odd thing to be graffitied on the side of a subway car. Now, I think some of us have probably heard about other podcasts. That are a really popular podcast. Let's just talk about them specifically. Jay and Miles explain the X Men. It's a fantastic podcast. If you haven't listened to it, please do. It's great. If you love the X Men, if you like anything tied to the X Men, they're fantastic. They will explain continuity and make it all make sense. It's awesome. Anyways, they have had artists and their own. St- basically create shirts. They've created shirts, right? T-shirts. And they had this Lila Cheney shirt. Well, that Lila Cheney shirt showed up in an Uncanny X-Men book. Okay, so this is art, fandom art and creations showing up in X-Men continuity. Now, I did some really, really quick dirty research on Google, just typing in X-Men and Tess, and I came up with some interesting hits and one of them was about some subway outlaws in new york in the 1970s late 70s very late 70s through the mid 80s and it was just a group of graffiti artists from what i can tell and that's one of the artists is tess was named had his his you know nickname was tess and the whole group they went by x-men so likelihood that X-Men is calling back to either what was a scene what what artists and writers were seeing in the subways in New York or it's something that artists were aware of like were would have been tapped into the underground scene of art right like this graffiti graffiti's kind of an underground like hush hush artwork art style that you know, it's. I would think like I find it appealing to look at it. I know some people find it disgusting, but I I think it's kind of interesting, and I think it speaks to society and and like has has social uh resident residents, right? Like <clears throat> it 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 just speaks to what's occurring in our society, and I find that kind of interesting. It's kind of cool to see what uh, people. What people are thinking, and sometimes through art you can you can get that. Now it wouldn't be that hard for me to imagine that. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not an artist even, and I and I would I, I find it interesting. So it's not that hard for me to think that maybe uh, <clears throat> people like the like Bill Sienkiewicz and other artists would be drawn to that. So or they simply saw it on the uh, on subway cars and. New people that are reading X-Men in New York would also have seen it, and it's just kind of a cool thing to put in the book. Either way, I think it's a really freaking nice touch, and I love it. Um, and hopefully my research is accurate. Um, I, I, it might be something I'm going to look into further. But either way, it's, it may be an Easter egg. <clears throat> now, like I said, Ileana's in the subway car, and she's you know, trying to get back to meet up with Kitty. Well, all of a sudden, the, the cars stop. And people are panicked. There's a bright light. Everybody thinks there was an accident, maybe a fire. And Ileana's like thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late. You know, Kitty's supposed to meet up with me. And it's none of those things. People are panicked, but she, Ileana hears a very familiar voice. She recognizes it to be the Beyonder. And <clears throat> he, uh, Ileana's ready to fight. He is re- she is ready to fight. She confronts him. She, you know, produces her soul sword. The armor appears. She lashes at him. He basically catches her soul sword. No one else is, can touch it besides Kitty Pride that we know of to this point. And he's holding it in his hand. He takes the sword from her and he manifests her evil side, just like he did earlier in the Secret Wars. And uh, he tells her that he's got. He's going to give her a gift. And he he pulls the you this evil. Uh, dark part of her soul out of her body, and she's basically becomes the person that the the teenager that she was supposed to be had she not been meddled with by by Blasco. Now. I'm going to take a quick aside here because this is going to come up throughout this issue. It's going to keep coming back to this, that this is the person she's supposed to be. One of the things about Ileana, I argue, is that that she is, and kind of always has been, just a mirror, right? So people have expectations of who she should be, and she tries to reflect those expectations. She has this dark part of her, this dark core... But, like, for her brother, he calls her, you know, his little snowflake. She's always going to be this innocent, teeny little girl to him. And she wants to be that for him. For Kitty Pride, she's something else. For Danny Moonstar, she's something else. For everyone around her, she's something else. But doesn't know, in my opinion, who she is herself. And <clears throat> I find it really interesting that if this darkness is pulled from her soul, that she would know that this is who she was supposed to be because i don't think that removing this darkness this evil side of her would cl- would would repair the damage or the the problems with her development right like the trauma from her childhood. Like, that still would be there unless he cleansed that from her. But then how could she, like... So it gets to be a little convoluted here, in my opinion. This is a place where I don't have problems necessarily with the story, but, uh, you know, she does say later that she's not been brainwashed, um, but that she just sees the opportunity for so much better for humanity. So he does pull this from her, and he tells her... (laughs) that he's hoping, you know, as he's pulling this evil from her, he tells her he's hoping to bring her joy, then send her out to spread his message. Uh, and and <clears throat> he he lifts, he, he basically has a subway car fly, rip up through the ground and fly off with Ileana inside. And she's going to take his message to others and help convert people to this, um, what we'll call later, like, uh, a universal consciousness, right? Everybody will be on the same way link, w- working t- towards the universal good. And, you know, humanity will be better for it. And 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 really the, the guide for it all will be the Beyonder. He's the overlord. Um, so, Beyonder, he, he thinks to himself, and I'm going to read a quote directly from him, it is the best this way. They should be led along the path of glory by one of their own. And this story, it's, it rings familiar. If you've read, if you haven't read um, Asgard Wars yet, especially the first portion, the first two chapters, um, specifically the X-Men versus Alpha Flight, it deals heavily with gifts and the right of choice and, you know, who who gets to choose, like, coercion and... Um, being forced to take and accept a gift, even if it's good, against your will. Um, And and we're getting into that territory here, and I I think it's handled well here. I don't think it's handled well here because it's the Secret Wars. I think it's because of the writer and the art team, um, honestly, and not so much the Secret Wars plot. So, um, the Beyonder, if you're curious in the the counterpart to the beyonder in the x-men versus alpha flight portion of the 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 asgard wars would be loki loki um, anyways back at the library kitty's startled and she's startled so much so that she phases through a chair and falls on her butt she looks up onto the table at the book she was reading and across it lays the so sword and she knows it's Ileana's. and this has happened once before when the beyonder showed up And so she picks up Ileana's soul sword, and sure enough, the armor appears on Kitty. This is, to our knowledge, the only other person besides the Beyonder who can wield the soul sword. Um, And along with all this comes the Beatrix medallion. And this is the medallion that holds Ileana's bloodstones, right? Those soul portions of Ileana's soul, that if enough are collected, if two more are collected in this pendant, this medallion, the gateway for the Elder Gods will will open, and in comes Elder Gods that will destroy and rule and do whatever they want to do to Earth. Now, sure enough, what begins to appear in the library are demons, and Kitty begins to do battle with them in New York. Meanwhile, back in the mansion, the New Mutants spend time unwinding at the pool and the first person that we realize that's missing is Roberto he's not there and Sam is curious about that and that's because Roberto's run off remember now we also notice that Cam Sam sorry Cannonball Sam uh notices (coughs) Amara and she is having sunscreen put on by Karma and here's you know there's some there's some stuff that comes up here we we you know in terms of Danny we have uh Karma's comment about Amara the silly girl is as red as Danny so we've got the commentary about again singling out the native american in Danny and then Doug he challenges Danny to a race swim you know swimming in the pool calling her chief again that's his term of endearment I guess for Danny, um, you know it, <clears throat> it's really hard for me to judge here because uh, like I'm not Native American I am a white white man and uh, but what I've what I what I try to to exhibit is, if somebody tells me that something is unwanted or, you know, they would consider hurtful or harmful, I shouldn't do it. That's that's my rule of thumb. Uh, it's been that way for a long time, you know, and, you know, these these things are problematic, you know, and <clears throat> even if, like, these people are friends, it's still problematic that we put this on a page for... Kids to read. Either way, it's not the worst we've seen in New Mutants for sure, but it is. I would say, I would argue, problematic. It might not be what we, what we want to put on the page for people to consume. Uh, We should probably have a higher standard. And some people would argue, well, political correctness is a load of hogwash. I just think respect. That's what it is. It's respect. I make a choice to respect those around me and. If people don't agree with that, my choice that way, that's that's fine. You don't have to, but I would argue that that's the point. Like, that's why I do it. Anyways, uh, let's get back to this. Now, you know, with all this hubbub going around in the pool, everybody's having a good time. You know, Warlocks in the pool. He's a submarine rain cannonballs into the pool. Everybody's just really enjoying themselves. Sam looks up and he sees something odd and he takes off. He ignites his uh cannonball abilities, his legs ignite into flames and he jets up into the sky. <clears throat> People are kind of surprised. They're looking around to try to see what's going on. Why does Sam take off? And then all of a sudden a demon appears at the pool and Danny calls her team to action. She's, you know, a leader. She's supposed to be co-leader with Sam, but more often than not, Sam usually jets off, leaving Danny to kind of direct things. And she tells her teams, you know, we got to take care of this demon. Let's, you know, and they try to deal with it. They all kind of launch attacks at it, not really having a lot of success until Warlock, who's still in the pool, reaches up and touches this demon. And he he this contact turns it into this techno organic uh being and then he from that he's able to draw its life goal and essentially killing it so war- warlock defeats it well sam who is up in the sky now he sees this giant giant uh subway car floating in the air and he's intrigued and in the doorway stands Ileana and she offers Sam her hand. And the subway car will eventually land in the backyard basically of the Axeman mansion and her teammates will all surround it, will all come to it. Now, Ileana and Sam talk to, you know, and Sam, he he does take her hand and he, he's quickly through the power of the Beyonder, swayed to the Beyonder's way of thinking, he accepts this gift. And Sam and Ileana, they talk to the team. They ask, and you know they're confronted by their teammates at the at, you know as they're coming out of the subway car. And Ileana and Sam both reply, "It's not important. They've learned something wonderful." And they explain that the Beyonder offers a universal. Uh, consciousness and he's kind of the overmind and sam ties it back to the sci-fi novel and here again like this is uh, this is loki and the loki and the asgard wars is what it reminds me of um and danny she argues uh whether or not uh whether we want it or not you know do we have to accept this power we have to accept this gift? Is it going to be forced upon us? All of this ties back to that concept of the Asgard Wars, right? Like, it's not by choice that they're being coerced. Like, it's against their will. And it's not a gift. It's not really a gift if, if you have to take it. And <clears throat> Ileana explains that, you know, and they ask her about the demon. What's going on? Why are these demons showing up? And, and Ileana's just nonchalantly explains that it's the barrier between the elder ones and earth it's breaking down and that those dimensions soon they'll be in on on the plane of earth and her friends are like you know not they're shocked by this and they don't trust Ileana right now and Ileana like for her part she's like hey look everyone I'm the girl I'm supposed to be I'm he removed the evil the darkness inside of me I'm 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 innocent now. I'm 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 good. I'm I'm no longer evil. Like and and her friends don't trust her at all. They like, they've lost all trust from her for her. And like it's kind of a stalemate and things aren't going well and Ileana and Sam take manners in their own hands. Sam, Sam uh rockets after Amari grabs her in his arm and continues flying off while Iliana grabs Warlock. And Things are going from bad to worse. So as Sam and Illyana are trying to corral their teammates and force them to accept this gift from the Beyonder, the a, a large, like multi-armed dark demon arrives, and from its necklace hangs Kitty Pride. And the demon threatens to is threatening to open the gateway between the the dimensions with the Elder Ones, allowing them to, to come into, uh, come, you know, to to take over Earth. And it is content to use Kitty's soul to do this. Kitty's an innocent. Her soul will produce the bloodstones. Her soul and another person's soul will produce the bloodstones sufficient to open the gateway. And the new mutant's... They're going to do battle. They're going to try. And everyone kind of begins to turn to fight this monster, uh, this giant demon. And it's at this moment that Doug, he, he he realizes that, you know, last issue, he just had that run-in with Magneto about his powers not being combat-based and that he's, you know, he's no good in a fight, that he shouldn't be involved in these conflicts and here he he looks around. And he sees even the girls. This is what he says to himself: that even the girls can you know can help in the fight. He, but not him. His powers are lingual based, linguist based, and you know that's kind of the last we see that blur. But this is going to be a continuing thing that we see come up with Doug, Doug Ramsey. He is, if if it's a physical fight, he is often not needed. Um, the arcs where he is at his best are when there 's a puzzle that needs to be solved or something that needs to be done using obviously his abilities, and his abilities are pretty pretty impressive you know he 's language reading, writing, communicating with people that like warlock computers i mean he 's not worthless, <clears throat> but he is not trained to handle this situation. Meanwhile, as everyone's kind of trying their best to, to take on this demon, Danny's arguing with Ileana and telling her she can't watch her best friend be killed. And Ileana says something about the greater good, that this is for the greater good, and that the Beyonder can, can handle anything. And Danny asks her Is this the price the Beyonder demands for your devotion? An innocent girl's soul? Kitty, do anything for you, make any sacrifice without hesitation or regret because you're her friend. Why can't you do the same? And Ileana, for her part, realizes that Danny's right, that she cannot let her best friend be killed. That she, to save Kitty in this moment, she's going to have to take back her magic. And the responsibility that comes with that, this will cor- corrupt her soul and she'll become evil again. And she does, she does that. She, she does, and and with that, she becomes more of like a dark child image. She, her body's either she's either wearing this red garment or, uh, and it appears as though she has horns, and the soul sword manifests, and she. Let 's loose this magical blast that just hits the demon, it also frees Sam um, and from his this demon 's grip and he he uh Ileana calls to him and tells him she needs a you know needs to get up in the air and he flies her into the air and she is able to cut down this giant demon um and with the demon defeated, you know it smells horrible. people are comparing it to how bad it smells after night crawlers teleported. Ileana finds Kitty and drops to her knees and holds Kitty in her arms and is looking down at her and she just keeps repeating, she's fine, she's fine, as her friends are asking about her. And Kitty is fine, she's okay. And Kitty, you know, looks up at her and says, yeah, I'm fine. And tells Ileana, you did real good. Me, I wasn't worried. I knew you saved the day. And, you know, it's it's kind of like the secret war stuff is, and that's the way this issue ends, right? It's a long shot and on a stat, you know, the can it's the last panels, a wide shot of the, the mansion grounds. And we see just little blips. And on that last panel, it says you'd say, I know, I knew, I know you'd save the day. Um, and that's the end of the issue. And, like I said, this this is the the Secret Wars tie in and it I think I, I like I said, i said at the start of this issue uh, this episode, I'm not a big fan of the Secret Wars. I think it's uh for the large part it's it's not worth uh it's it's pretty worthless. It's not a very good uh comic. Um if you like just reading something to read it and enjoy it, like it can be good for that. It's it's not so bad it's a comic, you know. It's it's worth you know, it's it's not if you read it, you're not gonna bleed your eyes out. But if you're looking for depictions of the characters, like the heroes in it, if you're looking for like what's Spider-Man like, if you're looking what's what's the Avengers like, what's Fantastic Four like, what's Thing like, what's what's New Mutants like? What what are the X Men like? You're you're not gonna get accurate depictions of those characters, you're just not. Um and so in a lot of ways, there's that. There's issues with that. There's just some just nonsense, like Spider-Man teaching the Beyonder how to use the toilet. Like that's just ridiculous. He teaches them how to poop. That is ridiculous. Uh, it might be kind of funny, but it's like <laughs> if I was collecting Spider-Man, I might want to have this issue just because Spider-Man's in it. But other than that, who you know, really, who cares? Um, either way, uh, this I think is. Claremont, as far as in the New Mutant stuff, his best use of the Secret Wars. It's the most fluid, it's the most interesting, it's the most understandable, and the next issue is even better than this one. So, uh, which is exciting. I'm really excited to get into the next one. And speaking of the next issue, uh, at the bottom of the panel, at the page, it says Next Beyonders Vengeance. If I should die, is the title for the next issue. Um, some quick stuff I do want to touch on here before we wrap up this this episode. The, I, I'm sure I've talked about it before, but the linkage between Kitty and Ileana. You know, you know, I I think that that's pretty strong. The fact that the Soul Sword manifests and that they have this this bond that's so powerful, that. Part of Ileana's like essence, her soul, because the soul sword, remember, she crafted it from her, her soul. This is a part of her. It's as her, her, you know, it's part of her. And the fact that it just appears for Kitty Pride, like that suggests that there's a really strong bond. No, yes, that could just be friendship, but it's likely that that bond is possibly more than friendship maybe that's like you know remember there's a comics book code and there's no way these authors are going to be right about relationship you know a relationship that's not heteronormative right and so anything that would be more than friendship more of a romantic relationship between Kitty and Ileana or Kitty and Rachel, that's not going to happen on panel. You can have things like the Soul Sword represent, right, and speak to something that that represents. Suggest that, you know, you can suggest it, you can hint at it, you can dance around it, but in this era, they're not going to pin it down. They're just not, they're not, it's not something that was going to probably pass comic book code, and therefore we're not going to see it on page. We will see that later in, in Towards the end of the nineties, maybe in the two thousands, um, characters will begin to come. We'll begin to see uh, homosexual characters, and you know, and and once we see start seeing that stuff, we begin to get into this idea of uh, representation, and you know, that's one of the things that that I really appreciate about the new mutants is it's a broad, diverse group of. Teenage heroes, right? We've got women, we've got uh, different races, different cultures, different people, and they all come together and can can join up and be and work together for the greater good. And there's something cool in that. So uh, I really appreciate that. You know, all in all, though, I, I do enjoy this episode, this issue. It's it's an interesting take but i do think this is in a lot of ways uh, uh, x-men uh alpha flight um in the beginning of the uh, uh, asgard wars it, it's that light it's light it's that story but you know the light version of it in a lot of ways um this idea is that the beyonder knows best and will endow you with a gift you know if you give you know turn your, you know you allow him to do so um and then we see it being forced. Uh, what we what we ultimately see is that n- we know there's not really a choice for that. This is the role he's decided, and it's what the Beyonder has deemed necessary. And no one's opinion matters. And Loki, Loki was maybe less uh, less charitable. <laughs> His was more like villainous, his his plot. Uh, the Beyonder, I think, is just desperately grasping at straws, trying to find his place and trying to make sense of a world that he really does not understand and does not like. And now that he's felt and learned things, he can't unfeel them. And that's really the crux of his character's problems. So, you know, since he can't unfeel things, he should kill everything on Earth. It makes a lot of sense. Anyways, we won't get more into the Beyonder in the next issue. We will have a lot more tie-in issues in that uh, uh, episode. So uh, until then, you know, just keep reading those comics. Uh, Yeah. James Explores the New Munes is as always recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant. The email at explore the new mutants at gmail dot com. Visual companions to the episode are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another great way to contact the podcast is by The Anchor Voice Messenger service allows you, the listeners, to record minute-long messages that are then sent directly to me. I can then place those messages directly in the episode, allowing you to really take part. And I really like it. So if you have comments, questions, please send them my way. I'd love to try to address those. Thanks.